0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Poor Mike is indeed an obscure craft, an art form, worthy of the highest order of review. Some of us have the proclivity for greatness. Almost well, do not. And those ambitious masses are the sacrifice this forest demands so that the true diviners can stand atop the mountain of corpses and claim their riches. Which one of you? Are you one of the great ones? Welcome to Syndicate. A film and TV podcast. From our screens to your watch list, we gather to share and discuss your next favorite. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. And now, here's your host, Ahmad Haddad.
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of Syndicate. I am your host Armand Haddad. This season, we are shining the spotlight on art house films and the power of cinema within our lives. Today's focus is on the 2018 sci-fi western *Prospect* by directors Zeke Earl and Chris Caldwell. To unpack this film, I am accompanied by one half of the film podcast *Sinbabble*, Ken. Welcome to Syndicate.
1: How's it going? Very happy to be here.
2: I'm happy that you're here, and it's a shame that your co-host could not make it today, but you're here.
1: I am here. My co-host, Clint, is notoriously shy uh, and often busy, <laughs> but uh, he was he was excited for the invite. So um, that's the first time that we have guested on another podcast. So this is awesome. new ground.
2: Well, I'm glad that you're here. So before we get into the film that you recommended, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about your show?
1: Uh, sure. Cinebabble, uh, you know, it was just one of those things where we decided and we sit around and talk about movies so much. Why not do something about it? And uh, I had previously uh, been a movie reviewer at High Def Digest and at Blu-ray.com. So I've been around for a bit. And uh, I would always end up just kind of sitting uh, over evenings with my wife, and we'd be talking with Clint and his wife about whatever we ended up watching, and somehow that turned into a ridiculous list of Cinepun uh, podcast names, and we just decided to give it a try. And if you go back and listen to our first episode, it's it's truly awful. It really, we had no idea what we were doing, uh, and so by now uh we we have a much better uh, run of things but we basically just open our show with what we've been watching and then we dive into uh sometimes some trailer talk but mainly usually three kind of movie reviews and we try to to cover the gamut Clint's very much uh an art house buff uh I love art house films but that's something where that's that's definitely his wheelhouse and probably only his wheelhouse <laughs> I can I can take an MCU film and and be perfectly happy uh, so
2: there's nothing wrong with MCU. There's Absolutely not. There's nothing wrong not. with Art House. There are two different flavors yes. of the cinematic buffet, I guess. Yes. Another cinema pun. <laughs> yeah. So whose idea was it to start the podcast? Was it yours or was it his?
1: It was mine. I was I was no longer reviewing, and so I was just bored not getting the thoughts in my head out. And so we thought it would it would just be something that, you know, 10 people listen to. Um, but it's it's turned into quite a, a little side project um, that's a, a bit more uh, heard and seen than we were anticipating or planning. So uh, awesome. at some point we started taking it seriously and you know, it got
2: better. Very cool. And now I have to listen to your first episode since you uh, pumped it up so much.
1: Yeah, I don't know about
2: that one. <laughs> Uh, awkward pauses. Yes. Got some feedback in the background. Exactly. Get uh, audio that sounds
1: like we're recording in a garage. <laughs> <laughs> Just.
2: Oh, that's amazing. Well, I hope everyone checks out your podcast, Sin Babble, wherever they check out podcasts. So you recommended Prospect yes. for today. So we watched that. So I have to ask, how did you first discover the film Prospect?
1: Completely by accident. Uh, we were... Uh, always looking for something that was a little less known. We like to cover things that, that people talk about, but at the same time uh, we want to hit on and highlight some things that maybe people wouldn't find otherwise. And I, I think it was Clint that found it. I believe it popped up on Hulu and oh. he's a big fan of watching uh, low budget indie films just for those moments where you find those diamonds in the rough. And he instantly started texting me and, and you have to watch this thing. Okay, sure. Um, and so that's we we stumbled across, uh, across it completely by accident and then sort of fell in love with this thing and have shamelessly plugged it on Cinebabel <laughs> ever since.
2: <laughs> I will say um, I never heard of this film. Mm-hmm. I know some of the actors um, mm-hmm. in this movie, but I never it just flew under the radar. So this is like yeah. a true hidden gem. So I do appreciate you uh, recommending it today and. Were you familiar with the studio that made the movie Dust before watching this? No,
1: no, that wasn't something we were familiar with. And, and really, other than a short that this is based on and another movie I haven't been able to track down, this is really um, these co-directors. It's, it's their first and, as far as I know, only film at the moment. Yeah. And I was, I was first of all taken by the fact that uh, it attracted the talent that it has. Um, and there are some familiar faces, but even the faces that aren't familiar... Uh there's 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 a level of uh performance quality here that that really kind of grabbed me from the beginning. And then right. Clint and I are always a big fan of anything where they can take uh, a low budget, be ambitious, but somehow still understand how their budget works and where the limitations are and they really crafted a story uh that that sort of supported their limitations. And I think that's a big part of of why it works so well for me.
2: Right. And I do agree with that. Like when it comes to like these low budget independent sci-fi movies, you can either go one of two directions. When you have like a big star attached to it, Mm -hmm. you can either go the direction of like the red box scam movies, where it's like Bruce Willis is in this movie or Nicolas (laughs) cage. And then you watch it and it's like, Oh, they spent all the budgets just to get that name attached to it. And everything else is like cardboard sets, bad acting, bad special effects. Or you can have, A movie like Prospect where Pedro Pascal is attached to it and he's like giving it not his all, but like quite a bit of his acting chops as being on display uh, in this film. And I was like, whoa, he really believed in this project. Yeah,
1: well, and that's something where I'm sure they had a pretty substantial and well-received short film. And I, I would imagine just being able to show that to different people. Uh, got people excited at the idea of what this could be. I, I think mm-hmm. their budget is still under $5 million, which is, you know, a, a solid indie budget. Mm-hmm. But it's something where I'm sure just having that kind of proof of concept they could show uh, an actor or or different things like that really helped bring some talent together. I think at the end of the day, uh, Hollywood and, and its actors get a bit of a bad rap for uh, sort of being out for the next check. And I really think the check is probably nice, uh, but you can see with a lot of, of actors that really they want substantial projects under their belt, and they want to be able to be proud of the things they're doing. And right. so uh, this this just feels a lot like that. This feels like something where people really bought into the vision of it, and it was it was less about the money and more about them. Oh, I can do that in twenty or thirty days. Sign me up.
2: <laughs> like I just think back to like I do. I do agree with you. Like I think a lot of. Actors are artists at heart, where they want their mm-hmm. body of work to be. You know, they want to be proud of what they're what they're making. I just think back to like the 1980s, which I feel like this film is heavily inspired from. Mm-hmm. I just think back to those like B movies where they get like an aged actor, way past their prime, uh like Cameron Mitchell, for example, where mm-hmm. they just have the name star power, and he's just like, yeah, just give me the money. I'm just gonna. I'm not gonna stand for this movie. I'm just gonna sit down. I've got to pay
1: my mortgage
2: <laughs> right so okay so we danced upon the 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 plots we danced upon the prospect so before we go any further listeners of the show know what time it is it's time for some elevator pitches
0: please Stand clear of the closing door. So for
2: those that don't know, if you're going to sell a movie on a friend, you really only have 60 seconds to do so. So Ken, here on Syndicate today, we're going to simulate that by putting 60 seconds on the clock. I need you to pitch me prospect as if I've never yeah. seen it before Love within it. one minute. Okay. Are you ready?
1: I am prepared. All right, you're probably going to have to cut me off.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to start in three, right. two, one, go.
1: Prospect is that movie that uh, makes you believe in movies again. It's something that you feel like somebody really had an idea as a child uh, in their backyard. And they're like, oh, this, this is my story. This is what I want to make. And they, over the course of, of several years, just assembled the pieces together to realize their vision it's it's a film where uh the the writers and directors knew exactly what their limitations were they knew exactly what they were working against and somehow managed to build a story that uh honors all of that they have a low budget well surprise our main characters have no money to their name they are working (laughs) with like the bottom barrel Uh, equipment and technology they possibly can and so just from the very start this movie assembles a very believable uh, sci-fi world even even to the extent that uh, the planet that they use and believe me i am not a fan of the let's go out in the forest and shoot and pretend it's an alien world this is that little movie that somehow makes it work i don't know how they make it work I can explain it at greater length. I only got sixty <laughs> seconds, but they make it work. Uh then you just tack into that, the performances and the surprisingly solid effects and music. And this is just the little indie that could. And uh I I thought I would keep going, but that's that's kind of my pitch.
2: Oh my god, that was amazing. That was almost the two minute elevator pitch. I didn't want to stop you. <laughs> You're on a roll. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you really encapsulated uh, the movie quite well because, like, it is truly like someone that grew up. I don't know how old these people are. Let's just say they grew up in the 90s. So they grew up on, like, the 80s films yeah. and they watched those, the Spielbergs, the Lucases. And they're like, I want to make one of those, but not exactly one of those. It's just inspired from it. It has, like, those little breadcrumbs of those films. Like, when I was watching this, I was like, huh. This is like the Mandalorian without the Star Wars IP attached to it. <laughs> like it, it it's it, it's a space western. It's in space. It has like those motifs that, that you would find in like western movies where they're like trying to find resources in this unknown uh land and then they're marauded by outlaws and then, you know, a Mexican standoff ensues and then, you know, from there you have to, you know, find your way back home. And this movie does it with like a nice science fiction wrapper attached to it. Um, so let's really let's really unpack this film now. So we have two main characters, uh, Damon and C, a father daughter uh, duo. Uh, how did you feel about their characters? I
1: was surprised because generally, uh, especially with indie films, where it feels as if the the filmmakers have so much to prove mm-hmm. that they set out to uh, really establish chemistry. And I think a lot of times in indie film, in, and and really in any film that that desire to establish chemistry is well intentioned but it can also immediately make someone feel like a character
2: mm. it can
1: immediately make someone feel as if they are screen written and i i was kind of impressed from the beginning that this is a a father daughter combo that just feels like a legitimate father daughter combo they are not having to wear their heart on their sleeve at every moment or bringing the audience up to speed on all of the exposition of where they've come from and what their family is. Just through the uh, their tackling of small problems and dealing with this kind of rickety ship, you get a sense of how they work together. And in right. a weird way, that's more important, watching how they work together than understanding what their relationship has been, you know, her entire life. Right, because, and so that, that was the first thing that kind of grabbed me about them.
2: Right, because like when you're watching the film, it's not telegraphed that they're father daughter. Right. Uh, what's important is like their teammates, that they're uh, partners in their prospecting endeavors, and through the dialogue, you find out, oh, that's her father. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's his daughter, and it's like those little revelations to uh, the audience is like, oh okay, there's like another layer to this dynamic. And when we get to the alien world, you see that dynamic uh, that was set up and then it pays off with the first conflict in the movie, which mm-hmm. I kind of did not see coming at all. I didn't really, I went into this blind, I didn't see any trailers, I didn't see the short film. I, just, I was like, let me just watch this movie. I trust mm-hmm. you. I trust your taste. And I was taken on a ride and I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. This was not something that I expected to be so, uh, episodic. Uh, maybe that's the wrong word, but just it shifts. Uh, and it's, it's almost like a collection of short stories as to what happens to this girl on this planet. And so it, it constantly feels as if the film is, is shifting and changing direction. It's not, but it gives you that sense of almost, uh, you know, going to the next chapter in a really good sci-fi novel. Um, and, and there's something there with what you said about how they sort of reveal things casually. They do that through the entire film. They do that with all of their world building. Uh, even at the end, when you come to kind of the the final conflict, mm-hmm. that was such a moment that I was not anticipating. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, this movie has a little bit of Mad Max to it that I was not <laughs> anticipating. And so uh, I, I, I love how they they establish all the elements that you need. To understand what's coming next, but they trust you as the viewer to be able to be smart enough and intelligent enough that you can kind of unpack without having to be spoon fed everything.
2: Exactly. And that's where probably the most important aspect of the film is shining, which is the writing. Because, mm-hmm. like, you can have like the best special effects, you can have like really good actors, but if the writing is bad, then the whole thing falls apart. Yep. Like, for example, the Halo TV series uh, that's on right now. I love Halo. I've been playing it my, like almost my whole my whole life, yep. and I was like, "Oh my god, they're making a a Halo uh, TV series!" I can't wait. Visually, it's beautiful. The actors, pretty good. The writing, awful. Yeah, and it yep. just brings everything down. And It's like this is just a horrible experience <laughs> because like the writing mm-hmm. is terrible but unlike um halo prospect actually has really good writing and that fleshes out the characters and you actually care about the characters you care about the journey uh that they're embarking upon
1: which is interesting because something like halo you know so much going into a show as a fan what that experience should be like Mm -hmm. uh it should have such an easier time taking those elements and running with them than a film like prospect prospect you know nothing you have nothing. You are being, uh, you know, handed and introduced to literally everything on the screen, uh, and yet somehow they do that with with more uh, kind of verve and moxie than somebody who has all of the great toys to play with. Uh, you know, Halo, it's it's there for you. How could you possibly drop the ball on this? And so that's that's one of the things I love because I feel like filmmakers, especially independent filmmakers are also fans and they watch things, whether it's the halo series or whatever it was back as prospect came to be, mm-hmm. they watch things and, and they had this deep feeling of if I had that money, I would not make those mistakes. Those mistakes right. are so obvious. How did somebody make them? I wish I had the opportunity to take that kind of budget and play with it. Um, and you can really feel when, a, when a real artist or a real writer uh, has that passion and they have that list of kind of do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. And then they finally get their their chance. And something like this comes out of it.
2: Yeah. And I think they really hit the nail on the head because, like, they have a passion for this subject. They have a passion for science fiction. And it's so refreshing because, like, a lot of, like, the AAA titles when it comes to sci-fi are not really sci-fi. It's just, like, in aesthetics only. But yes. with this uh, movie, it's, like... I don't know. It feels like it's hard sci-fi. There's like, they're on an alien world and it's lush. They're enforced, uh, <laughs> yeah. but they, they do little special effects things to make it look alien. So there's stuff and, in the air. Yes. There's, 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 dust in the air and uh, who knows what it is. Organisms. Yeah. Sure. And they have like these filtration devices on their body, like on their bodysuit, And then they have like uh, the helmets that's filtering the air for them to breathe. And it's like little things like that immerse you into the world even more and i feel like with a lot of mainstream titles they take uh, shortcuts and that kind of removes you out of the experience of like this is an alien world too oh this is a story uh being told to me on screen with a little science fiction little tiny wrapper to it but this is like this is like hard sci-fi and i truly appreciate it because it's like with an independent film, they can make those risks uh, with this movie. And the thing that really jumped out to me uh, at first was the whole aesthetic with the whole, mm-hmm. like, cassette futurism uh, vibe that they're going for. Kind of like Star Wars, but even more gritty and mm-hmm. more, uh, I don't want to say low budget, but, like, you can really tell, like, these spaceships are really held together, not by much. <laughs> yes, and and that's it,
1: it's little details. And that's part of the world building. That's part of the trusting the audience. But that aesthetic, when when Pedro Pascal's Ezra first shows up, he nothing about his suit fits correctly. He leans against <laughs> right. the inside of his oversized helmet and it still looks the part, but it instantly communicates to you that this is not a professional. This is not someone who has the fitted uniform that the father has. Mm-hmm. This is somebody who is just living and probably scrounging and and using whatever they can come across. He instantly has the visual of somebody not to trust or not to count on for for that level of of experience. He is not who he pretends to be. He's literally uh you know trying to be a uh somebody else. It's a wolf oh, right. in sheep's clothing. And so just those little visual cues are so a part of the aesthetic. Now you take that, that's just one, okay, it's Pedro Pascal's helmet. Now amplify that to all of the elements of the production design. Mm -hmm. Um, There's there's such a confidence in allowing things to not fit right or not look right or not look expensive or not look great on screen because Mm -hmm. they know that it's gonna read the way that they want it to read, and everything is gonna serve that story and that's this is this is such a great uh marriage of aesthetic and storytelling right. uh and it's it's not something you often see even in you know large budget sci fi mm-hmm. where they should have a a little bit of an easier time being able to pull that off,
2: yeah, I like how you put it because like it is this perfect union between the art direction and the storytelling, because like they do complement each other. Like the storytelling leans upon the art direction, which is like this uh, scrappy Mm -hmm. futurism. Uh, And then that visual aesthetic leans upon the story that they're being uh, told, which is like kind of like these uh, outlaws being transposed on a cosmic scale. And it's really cool.
1: Yeah. And and when you have that sense of these filmmakers know what they're doing, then they can be vague or they cannot answer questions or they can hold off on revealing something because whether you've realized it or not, as a viewer, you've developed trust in their storytelling. And so you're willing to allow things to be confusing or allow things to be mysterious or allow things not to be answered because you understand that you're either going to be given that answer eventually Mm -hmm. or you never really needed it in the first place. Or it's something that they're perfectly fine with you taking a guess at and just making your own interpretation uh, and I, I just I love that feeling of filmmaker confidence not arrogance but confidence that comes through
2: it's like this is my vision and I'm not going to compromise on it yep. I truly yep. I truly respect that because yep. like if you had more cooks in the kitchen probably there would be changes here and there you're not going to get like you know the what prospect is which is kind of rough around the edges but like they embrace that like it's 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 so great to, it's so refreshing to see it not everything has to be polished not everything has to have like 15 writers attached to it it's just it's a simple story and you see the acting and the aesthetic uh brought to life on screen so let's talk about the special effects uh in this movie which really surprised me because like it's an independent film and yet the special effects specifically the practical effects are really really good. I don't know what's a model, what's CGI. And you know what? It doesn't matter because like it all flows together so perfectly.
1: I'm a, I'm a big fan of anytime something alien really feels alien, Mm -hmm. uh, where it's not humanoid or it's not, I mean, there's, there's no aliens to communicate with, uh, at least as far as this story is concerned, but there are creatures on this planet. And, uh, in a, in a very slow and subtle way, you, you come to understand the biology of these creatures and why they're so important to these prospectors, uh, essentially. And they don't pay it a lot of mind other than where it really affects the story. And even that gives you the sense of, uh, oh, okay, this is something these these characters are completely familiar with and used to. This is just another part of their world. And that's that's the thing I loved about all of the special effects. Nothing at any moment stops somebody in their tracks and makes them drop their jaw and just, oh, what am I looking at? They've seen this stuff. Uh, they, they know what this stuff is. Uh, they're, they're not surprised by any of that. And so you really have the opportunity because the effects are presented that way to allow the characters to just react to each other and react to the circumstances or the danger or the conflict. And so even there, here are these these visual effects are constantly serving the story. Everything is in service to story and character. And right. um, I love that. That, that again, goes back to that confidence. I can mm-hmm. put something on screen, regardless of whether it's practical or CG or uh, just little dusty bits floating in the air. And I, I I trust that that's going to communicate to you that this is an alien world. And they need these helmets and they, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I just... Right. It's, it's one more element that seems to be in balance or in, in equilibrium with these other elements that in other films might be in competition
2: right like when i was watching this i was surprised they chose a forest as their backdrop for this alien world because like a lot of independent films default to using forests uh, because it's an interesting setting to be in you don't have to put any money into it it's kind of a production value by doing nothing um and then when it comes to science fiction i was thinking like you know bigger movies like interstellar for example where they go to like norway or iceland kind of like it's on earth but it's like so alien looking because it's so barren and how we know planets Mm -hmm. in our solar system is that they're barren uh so when they drop on this planets and then you see like the lush almost jungle-esque forests uh, that they're trying to find these uh, minerals. I was like, oh, there is life on these planets. It's not like this barren world. It's like filled with like plant life and vegetation. And when they finally dig into the dirts to find these minerals, like you said, it's not over-explained. There's no exposition dumps. Like there's a sense of ambiguity with everything, even like where they come from, where they're going, what their mission is what exactly they're doing, it's not really told to the audience because ultimately that doesn't matter. It's the conflict and the interpersonal relationships on screen that really matter.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's, it's using the forest in a way to their advantage. It, it reminds me, I know people have hate for Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. but uh, George Lucas and the team at the time made a really smart decision. They didn't just go into a forest. They went into a forest of redwoods, Mm -hmm. uh, which, yes, maybe in California, they're a little more familiar with and maybe they went to as kids. The rest of the planet is not used to enormous giant trees. And so putting that on screen automatically feels alien as opposed to any other forest where it just looks like somebody is uh, trekking out, you know, back behind their house. (laughs) Uh, and, And it really starts to feel that way. Um, It it really takes a lot to make a forest interesting. You have to have an eye for not just shooting in the woods, but what locations are you using in those woods?
2: Right. Because like I've seen many low budget movies, asylum uh, (laughs) films, and a lot of them default to the forest. But uh, Prospect, like there are some clunky scenes here and there, but the majority of it, you forget that they're in like a forest because of. The color grading, the special effects and also the shooting style of the direction of how they're shooting these characters and like the camera angles like it's it's very well done. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and you mentioned, yes, this is by no means the perfect film. It's not like they have achieved water into wine on five million bucks <laughs> here. Um, there there are moments where you can feel them bumping against that edge. Um, and, and that's just something in a weird way, and that 's something about all independent film, the occasional reminder that they did not have what large studio productions have
2: mm-hmm.
1: almost makes it feel uh more impressive. going back and watching something like john carpenter's thing or or these uh you know creature features that really leaned in heavy on on practical effects. you watch them now, and even at the time, not everything in the thing works visually. Uh, But you compare that to the new version where they just took and put a layer of CG over everything and it loses the weight and it loses that groundedness. And you lose that sense of here are not to suggest CG artists aren't artists, but here these artists on set are providing something for these actors to to interact with. And they're not just going to rely on it being added in later.
2: Yeah, they're actually touching and interacting with a tangible thing and when they pulled out that i don't even know what it is that like (laughs) creature larva thing larva egg root potato i don't know (laughs) out of the ground i was like what is happening (laughs) yeah because like i would think like okay they're like hunting for like rocks or something but it's like it's from an actual living organism and then they have to tinker it with it with it, in a certain way, for it to harden and then it becomes like this. Like Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile, with the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices Rock thing or something. And I was like, this is such an alien thing, it's so otherworldly, and yet it's, it's such a simple uh interaction where it's like, creature, pull the shit out, and then it hardens. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and that's something too, where in their world building they they buy themselves some leeway because they don't explain too much. One of the mm-hmm. problems when you explain too much, if you're a Star Trek. For instance, <laughs> you open yourself to every plot hole imaginable, whereas the more vague and, and non-specific you are, there may be glaring plot holes in this film. And I would never know it because my brain is just trying to figure out who was the first person that figured out that doing it this way would produce this expensive mineral out of right. this creature. You know, and, and my brain is so busy even trying to understand the process and, and what I'm even watching uh, there, there could be horrible writing right in front of me and I would never know it. And so that's, that's another thing where, and, and I don't think there's horrible writing. I think they did that very consciously where let's just give people enough that they understand because all of these people understand. And why would anybody stand around and have a conversation about this? Uh, you know, that's, that's clearly when you as the audience recognize, okay, they're talking to me. I am, you know, the the unseen character on screen right now because I need this information. Um, right. And you don't want to lose your audience, you don't want to confuse them, but at the same time, uh, you you don't want things to feel false.
2: Right. I think they are extremely conscious with the exposition and kind of like building out this world without like halting the pacing of the film because yeah. like so many films just come to a screeching halt, and it's like wait what's happening right now but this film doesn't really do that ever and i truly appreciate that um so let's switch gears to ezra we have to talk about ezra who's played by pedro pascal let's talk about his introduction to this story because i was waiting for him i knew he he was on the poster Mm -hmm. i wanted to see him and he came i
1: i I was not expecting the uh he, he constantly felt like uh mal from uh, firefly and serenity to me voice mm. and all uh, just, just somebody who didn't have the nice little family crew. He is spun off in the other direction and he is yeah. pure outlaw. And that was very interesting because he clearly has some self-interest and that, that creates this, this conflict where you never know what to do with him. You never know how much to trust him, mm. uh, especially right. at one point by the time he is, he is with this girl and they encounter uh, – are we allowed to do spoilers a little bit here? Full-on spoilers. Let's do Excellent. it. Uh, Excellent. They, they encounter this this encampment of people, and they're trying to get assistance from these people. And suddenly the, the tribe leader or the village leader or whatever he is offers a, a pretty hefty uh, sum of, of minerals uh, in exchange for he wants to buy the girl. Well, he's not talking to her father, he's talking to this outlaw. He is talking mm-hmm. to this criminal. And that is a moment of such just uncomfortable suspense because you want to believe in this guy. He's likable. He's he's a likable criminal. Um but at that point, do I trust him or is he just going to take the money and sell this poor girl to these people? Right. And that moment uh, creates so much suspense and then it goes on to point to some developments in in their kind of forced relationship that that neither of them were anticipating but it serves the story it serves the characters it it serves that feeling you have where you can you can really feel yourself leaning forward what's about to happen here
2: yeah like when he got into the story that's when the tension just built up significantly yep. because like in the beginning of the film, you have this father daughter, like mining duo. And they're trying to like, uh, ha- find a way to like, I don't know, have live a better life, uh, by selling these, uh, minerals. And then that's all just thrown out the window when these two outlaws, uh, appear in their, mm-hmm. uh, forest. And they ended up getting held up. Uh, the father dies and, in this gun battle it's just um see the daughter uh that flees away hides in the ship and then pedro pascal's character ezra confronts her and they're kind of stuck in this situation where she needs him and then he needs her and they end up getting into this situation where like you said the tension is so high uh they're with this like tribal people and it's like is he going to sell her out? Because like we already know, like, he killed her father. Right. Like, he's not a man of uh, high morals. And what ends up happening was he didn't. Yeah. He didn't sell her out. And it's like, okay, he's actually the thief with the heart of gold yeah. all along.
1: And And you feel that, okay, there is a line somewhere for this guy. Killing mm-hmm. her father was not it, even though that feels... Almost unintended, uh, you know. I, I think he was ready to do that, and that that wasn't something that's going to make him lose a lot of sleep. But at the same time, probably not what he entered that conversation gunning for. Right. Uh, oh, didn't pardon the pun. <laughs> 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 but but then you know you're you've got these characters who are relying on the other one purely out of self interest. Suddenly they have to figure out if they have these lines where their self interest is not worth the cost of. Whatever that moral compass is that they have. Right. Um, and, and that, that provides some real character arc there. And it, it doesn't feel manufactured. It feels organic. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what I loved so much about his character and really his performance. It feels very organic. I, I don't feel like at the end of the film, he is just a better person than he was. <laughs> and now he's going to, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> but you can see that. It, you've been given access to some deeper parts of him right. than you originally assumed he had or that mm-hmm. he was capable of, or maybe something he used to have and has just gotten rid of. Mm-hmm. And so it, it adds this real intrigue into who is this guy? And do I like him? He's like a bull. Do I trust him? He seems trustworthy. And it almost puts you in the exact position of, of what she's going through, you know, minus the fact that she's also grieving her father and genuinely scared for her life.
2: Right, like, he's not a cardboard cutout, he's a very complex character, yeah. and he's very well written, and it really shows, because like, like you said, everything is earned in this film. Like, nothing is just like, oh, and then he becomes a, he's a great guy, and it's like, <laughs> no, like, he de- he's definitely a man that's has probably deep-rooted issues, but he also wants to help this girl out and also help himself out uh, in doing so so it's 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 just very interesting like the predicaments that they get in and they have to rely on each other yes. to get themselves out okay so since everything is ambiguous in this in this uh film in the beginning when uh ezra confronts c's father uh damon Damon I thought I thought it was a lie. I thought he was like, well, I'm here, and there's there's other miners too, and like mm-hmm. there's this whole band of you know I, I could take you to the queen uh of this like hive of like creatures, and then you know there's a lot of money to be made there, and I can help you out I, I can lead you there. I thought he was lying, yeah uh, apparently awesome. yeah. he wasn't there was there was actually another mining group there, I don't know if they're affiliated in some way um but they ended up being an issue. Mm -hmm. um for C and ezra and i was like what is like you said mad max is our mad max people coming in all of a sudden
1: now have you had a chance to watch this twice yet
2: no just once. it's
1: really really interesting on the second viewing and it's not a movie that requires a second viewing but it's a very different experience the second time through Mm. uh, because knowing the father isn't bluffing gives you a, a different understanding in that moment of how much his daughter is valuable to him it's not even a, a ploy to save his life. He is, is, is so uh, concerned about her well-being and her survival that he's willing to not bluff at all and, and give up exactly what the game is because that's more important to him than seeing anything happen to her. And so suddenly his death takes on a, a much more resonant uh, meaning. Uh, the fact that, that Ezra's partner is faceless and silent mm-hmm. and really foreboding takes on a whole other meaning because, okay, now I'm wondering how did he end up with this this person? Because I think very clearly if he had died and it was the whoever that faceless partner is, yeah. had he had the girl, he would have sold her in a second. And so mm-hmm. how did these two guys come together? Did they come together out of necessity, much like he and the girl are coming together? And so going back mm. through with what happens, it it just – Uh, Slyly enhances all of those little character beats and it it changes them Um, and it allows you to interpret them in different ways. It makes it, I think, a much richer uh, character piece the second time through. The first time through, it's all, yes, the character stuff is there, (laughs) but it's a lot of world building and and figuring out where it's going. And uh, the second time you just get to sit with Ezra and see and really understand kind of what they're made of.
2: That is such an interesting, uh, thought experiment that you just said with, so in that initial conflict and in that initial standoff, um, C's father gets killed mm-hmm. and he takes out the faceless foreboding guy who looks like Darth Vader, uh, with a huge giant minigun. Yeah. Um, if he were to survive, oh, 100% he would have sold her. And I don't think it would have even gotten that far. I think he would have killed her, uh, in the ship yeah. to be honest.
1: Well, and that's something where did he shoot at him first because he has the bigger gun or because he recognized that he's actually the bigger threat to his daughter? Um, right, because you know, like,
2: before that, he was uh, he told his daughter, aim for the big one.
1: Yep, because he's not talking. At least this other guy will talk and reason, and, you know, I feel like we have a chance with him. Mm-hmm. That other guy is creeping me out. I <laughs> I do not trust that guy. It's like a um, Terminator. Yes. And and so even there, uh, as desperate of a financial situation as they're in and, and things like that, it, his primary focus is his daughter. His primary focus is his, his family unit. Uh, and even then, it's, you know, at his own expense. Uh, he's much more worried about her than himself.
2: Yeah. And that is even set up earlier because, like, when they got to the planets, he said, you have the better filter. Mm-hmm. So – and I was like, oh, he cares about his daughter so much that he's giving her the better equipment because, like, who cares if he dies? Like, Now, on the flip side, he's
1: he's so busy protecting her. He's almost sheltering her a little bit. He has mm-hmm. trained her on all of these different things. He's trained her on in, in all of these techniques and the job and, and how they make their living. But then when it comes to her holding a rifle, you can tell this is not a girl who has been taught how to hold a rifle. Probably because her dad didn't want her to ever have to to be in that position. And so his love for her is also part of what makes them a less effective duo initially in a gun battle because she's at a a pretty severe disadvantage. That's not his fault, but it's just it's one of those you you start to interpret and pick up on possible character dynamics. And I love when a filmmaker does that because that allows you to project onto the characters what's important to you. For mm-hmm. me, you know, the family unit is is a big uh, soft spot for me in movies. And so that's what I project on this movie. Mm-hmm. It makes me fall in love with it more. Is that what they intended? I don't know, but it's how I'm taking it. And so it's almost like the movie becomes mine in a very personal way as I'm watching it because they've left so much room for me to inject myself and my sensitivities and, and my needs into their story.
2: I think it's totally intentional because like the way the actors interpreted these characters, it comes out in the body language and you picked up upon that uh, with C's character, how she handles the rifle, how she handles the pistol. And that completely went over my head, but like you picked up on it. And now that I'm looking back at all those scenes where she's handling the firearm. Yeah. It's totally not like eloquent. It's not like trained. It's, it's like, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's just pointing the gun at uh, the enemy and hoping that it it hits them. You know, I'm not I'm not some super,
1: uh, you know, cinematic sleuth. I didn't pick up on that (laughs) the first time. Uh, That's that's the joy of kind of going back to these movies. Um, And and there's so many good films that do that. Um, I don't know what your reaction to Power of the Dog was if you saw it. But Clint and I, that was one. Clint really liked it. Um, I liked it by the end. But he had already told me, go back through it again after you finish watching it, because the second time is very, very different. And sure mm-hmm. enough, I, I had a much fuller appreciation of that movie after the second time. Clearly, we don't, you know, have time to watch every movie two, three, four times. And I don't think Transformers Revenge of the Fallen <laughs> deserves a fifth watch. <laughs> well, a maybe fifth just maybe. watch? <laughs> oh, my but, God. But, uh, you know, when you have the opportunity to do that, and I think really great films Uh, continue to uh, educate you and and invite you in more than you could have possibly picked up on the first time.
2: Right. And I actually haven't seen the power of dog yet. I'm a big fan of Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm -hmm. Um, I just find it interesting that Clint was like, oh, I I loved it. And you're like, I liked it by the end. (laughs) Yeah, Clint Clint has a much easier time with anything independent because
1: if they are doing something weird, as long as they have engaged him, he's in for it. I have these these very basic, like, I have to like somebody. I have to have a basic understanding of something, uh, you know, which sounds stupid. Um, but that's that's the part of my brain that that just loves, you know, a Marvel movie, uh, whereas for him, Marvel movies are are boring and they really have to be something, you know, different and special to to get his attention.
2: Oh, boy. Well, it's just different strokes for different folks. <laughs> yep. A hundred percent. Um, So be honest. Mm-hmm. How many times have you seen Prospect? Because like when you pitched this movie to me, mm-hmm. you were like Clint and I are just gushing about this film. We mm-hmm. love it so much. How many times have you watched it?
1: I've probably watched this movie at least 10 times. 10 times. This is this wow. was my movie of the year or second uh in 2018 uh and continues to be something uh I've watched at least once a year uh during COVID and all of the lockdown. That was one of my uh just uh, therapy movies i guess where when things were seeming just really bad and and all of that that was one of the movies i would go to because mm-hmm. those characters are going through the same thing i realize now i'm I'm very basic at my core
2: <laughs> it's not basic because like you're saying like oh it's basic but i need to connect with these characters but that's important yeah. like why are, why am i watching this movie i need to connect with the characters because yeah. like ultimately the characters Every character in this film is a piece of you. So it's like yeah. I need to see myself, whether it's aesthetically or thematically. I need to see myself uh, within this film. I need, it needs to connect with me. It needs to speak to me. Kind of like when you're walking through the Art Institute and you're looking at the paintings. Is this is this painting speaking to me? So yeah. that's what the film does.
1: Well, and that's the interesting thing about, you know, the elevator pitch that that you do. It's It's one of those things where... I there are very specific people I would never pitch this movie to because I know they would not enjoy it at all because they don't enjoy that process. And that doesn't make them wrong. That doesn't make them a lesser film fan. It's just they have different tastes. They have different things they respond to. Clint in his deep cut art house movies, just he's he's an artist and he's a musician and he's all these things. So those things really have much more meaning to him. Whereas, uh, you know, I, I write and so uh, Mm -hmm. writing and storytelling and character are much more important to me. Believing what's on screen is more important. Whereas, you know, uh, if, if something has its face melt off and it's replaced by another face, he's in, uh, he doesn't care if it means something to the story, you know, ultimately it needs to, but he's just, he's down, he's ready to go. Um, and, and so, you know, we've, we've watched this film an embarrassing number of times, each of us separately. And, um, you know, I, it's free on Hulu and I still bought the Blu-ray and then they released it on 4k and I was a complete chump and dropped 40 bucks on Amazon for the 4k. And I I can't explain why, you know, that would seem like a waste of money to anybody else, but there's something about this movie that just hits all of the, um, Get you know, all of my weak spots, all of my flashing orange boss areas. If I were in a video <laughs> game, this film just takes aim and hits every single one of them. It gets all your hit boxes. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly.
2: Well, i I will have to say you're both artists in different ways. Like Clint is obviously the more visual person, and you're the more writing. It's it's and like that's where this film, uh, you know, has its strong points. It's it's both visually. Uh, intoxicating and also the writing is so top-notch that it, it's believable and yeah. like you're invested in this film yeah so we're at the end of the show so let's get okay. off the fence on a few questions so my first question for you speaking of the aesthetic mm-hmm. this film has a very strong aesthetic it's a very strong aesthetic in both the hallmarks from the 1980s and also a little bit of uh, modern special effects do you think this is a Do you think we're going to see more of this type of film in the future or is this kind of like a flash in the pan?
1: I worry it's more of a flash in the pan. I think this goes in a category of films like Primer where they're incredible if you find them, but they are largely forgotten. They they don't, you know, at most it would take on a, a cult classic kind of level where maybe one day in the future... Uh, It would start to really build an audience. Um, But it just having come out in 2018 and watch it be available and out there. And almost every time, you know, I, I recommend it to somebody or mention it to somebody, they look at me like they have no idea what I'm talking about. It's not even something they remember flipping past on Hulu. It just it's it's a non movie. A um, and it's a shame because it's, it's anything, but even if you go on YouTube and watch the trailer, it's got a great trailer. Um, you know, everything about it should make it one of those things that, yeah, it cost 5 million, but it just took movies by storm and made hundreds of millions. And people are demanding that scripts be handed to these filmmakers. And it just hasn't seemed to happen. Um, I hope it does. I man, I hope it does too. I am very interested to see what their next movie is eventually, and if this was just a not a fluke, but just there was so much passion in this that it it basically got everything that that they could put into it. And their next movie, I I hope it means as much, uh, and it and it has as much to
2: it. So my follow-up question for you, say this isn't a lightning in the bottle movie. Say Mm -hmm. this is not a project of, like, the right people at the right time. Do you think this would have translated well? Say they're like, we're going to make a TV show and really uh, expand the lore of, like, this world. Mm -hmm. Would you be interested? Or do you think that would be ultimately not good?
1: I would be cautiously optimistic. Because, again, anytime you take something that I feel is complete and you decide that it needs expanding breaking bad's a perfect example i was horrified when they announced uh, el camino because <laughs> i know i just let me have my breaking bad well, why mm-hmm. is there more story to tell here money but well yes initially <laughs> but then you watch it and you're like okay there he had a story to tell and this was worth telling and it felt like another piece of the breaking bad universe same thing with better call saul so you know it's, it's one of those things where anybody that's writing and creating something at this level, I, I want to believe in them, but until you have a lot of things on, on your resume, so to speak, um, you know, I, I don't know, is this just a one-time thing? Is this just something that's a one hit wonder? Or is it something that man, you as a filmmaker and a writer, something really special and you have more to offer?
0: luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns
2: do you think this film was the right direction when it comes to science fiction
1: I one of the things I love about science fiction is it's such a multifaceted genre. Mm-hmm. It's something where you can have your really highbrow, alien, high technology sort of film and you can make it work and you can have the complete opposite of that, which is this, which is your bargain bin, you know, Western, where it's mm-hmm. just people out in the far reaches of space hobbling together, whatever they can find or cobbling together. and. um, So I I want to see more movies like this, but I hope that sci-fi as a genre never becomes so specific that you can't both have a Star Wars and a Star Trek and a Prospect and a 2001. Mm -hmm. All of these things can exist and and I think find a fan base. I think, um, I don't know what it is. This has Firefly and Serenity vibes Mm -hmm. uh, at different points. And maybe it's just space westerns. Maybe the world is just not ready for space westerns yet. But you go back and you watch A New Hope and A New Hope is a space Western. Um, And so I I think these things have been there a long time. I I just think that it really comes down to are they on the cutting edge? Do they get the attention? Do they come out at the right moment? I haven't looked at it. I would love to know what came out at the exact same time as this, because I would imagine there were probably several movies that came out the same couple of months that Prospect appeared and they drew all the attention. And this one just kind of flew under the
2: radar. Right, because like when you mentioned Star Wars, I also think of The Matrix uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to like science fiction, and it's it was the right story at the right time, uh, yeah. especially with The Matrix, um, and both films, Star Wars and The Matrix, kind of of, they kind of like appealed to different audiences, such a vast uh different audiences in different ways, yep. and with space westerns, I feel like westerns in general aren't very popular with uh, the mainstream audience. And when you add science fiction to it, so if it's like a reskinned Western uh, story, it's just not going to resonate with people. So it's like you need to infuse, for example, Star Wars, the mysticism with it. You need to infuse adventure with it. Uh, And then like with the Matrix, uh, you know, this esoteric theology uh, on top of that as well.
1: And then it's what's happening in culture at the time. You take something like Star Trek. Star Trek has been enormously popular at times and enormously unpopular at other times. Mm -hmm. Then you go and you look at that compared to history. Okay, when the original series came out, you're right in the middle of the Cold War. It's a very scary time. Here's this sci-fi story of hope and optimism. Right. Then things kind of settle down. Star Trek dies away. Then when it comes back with Next Generation in the movies, it's right there. Coming out of the 80s into the 90s again, you know, the world feels unsure and, and what's the future going to hold? And so suddenly here's our story of hope and optimism again. Mm-hmm. Right now, you see this resurgence of Star Trek. Why? Mm-hmm. Because it's a dark time. Things are very divisive. And here's this story that has the audacity to suggest that maybe we as humans can get along one day. <laughs> uh, and it just, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's a pipe dream maybe, but... It's it's therapeutically, psychologically what we need right now Mm -hmm. when things seem dark, you drift towards lighter stuff. Prospect is a very dark movie. uh, And so maybe it just came out at a time that people needed hope and optimism. Um, uh, Who knows? Interesting. Uh, All of those things, I think, weigh in on on whether a film soars or, or just sort of disappears.
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean, I personally like the, the darker stuff, the gritty gritty stuff, uh, makes, it makes you really appreciate, um, the moment more. And it's kind of like a reminder of like, this is not what you should strive towards. Um, so with these filmmakers, I would love to see more films from them. I would love to see not, not exactly a continuation of this story, but like another story set within this aesthetic set within this world. That would be awesome. If they had like a brand that they can play around with like this is a solid start to that brand
1: and i would be much more interested in that than the further adventures of ci um i'm i'm okay with not knowing what happens when she grows up i'm you know i'm i'm good with where the movie leaves us but this world intrigues me these characters intrigue me the the different uh you know factions and and things like that um which really it's just what happens to people when they are left in desperate situations it is sci-fi, but everything it draws on, conflict and, and interactions and, and all of those things are all things that, that we can experience in culture today. So it's not alien in what its humans are going through, um, right. just what they're possibly encountering. Uh, and that's that's the best kind of sci-fi to me. Sci-fi is, is usually futuristic, um, but at the same time, it's commenting on who you are and where you're at right now.
2: Mm-hmm. There's this level of uh, humanism injected mm-hmm. into these stories. I truly yes. really appreciate it. So safe to say, this this was a strong opening for these directors.
1: I think so. <laughs> it scares me a little that it's 2022 and I still haven't seen something else come from them. Um, oh yeah,
2: it's been four years.
1: Yeah. Well, COVID, you have to subtract two That's years true. from every estimate because oh yeah, those two years existed.
2: Right. Like. I'm always like a year behind in like my mental notes. I'm like, yeah, it's 2021. Oh, no, it's not.
1: (laughs) Well, and imagine years from now when we're looking back at the movies that came out 2020, 2021. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a lot of, why does this movie feel this way? Oh, yeah, it was made during a pandemic when everybody, once the cameras stop, are throwing on a mask. That's probably a difficult Mm -hmm. scenario in in which to make a movie.
2: Right. It's not ideal. It's it's psychologically damaging as well, probably. So my final question for you, would you recommend Prospect to a friend?
1: No. Yes. <laughs> I, I would definitely, uh, you know, if I haven't gushed about it already. Uh, this is one, even, even though I said before, you know, I know people I wouldn't recommend it to. That's disingenuous. I know people that I would warn, you may not like this. Mm, but okay. I I have been kind of a an unapologetic cheerleader for this movie just about to anybody that'll listen to me. Uh, so yes. Yes. Especially if it was a friend, uh, I would recommend it to them. Not an enemy because I would recommend terrible films to them.
2: <laughs> Transformers Fallen Kingdom. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Perfect. I would recommend it too with an asterisk. And mm-hmm. that disclaimer has to be, do you like sci-fi? Yeah. Do you like intelligent sure. films? Do you like new storytelling? Do you like something that's a little bit strange? Then you should yeah. check out Prospect.
1: Everything you just said was the best elevator pitch you could possibly give to Clint. <laughs> as soon as you said, do you like something strange? Clint would have been right there. Boy, yes,
2: I do. Show me Prospect.
1: <laughs> yep, exactly.
2: <laughs> awesome. Okay. Are you ready to close this out, Ken?
1: I am. This has been good fun. I really appreciate it. Um, would love to have you on Cinebabel sometime. Uh, we haven't had somebody guest, uh, but this was a really easy process, so. Awesome. Um, I really enjoyed your thoughts and you've got some really good insight and perspective.
2: Oh, thank uh,
1: you. On, I mean, in this case, you know, something I love, so.
2: Awesome. Well, you know, just, uh, send me a DM and we'll make it happen. Sounds good. I like it. So that's it for this time on Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We've been talking about Prospect. Please check it out where it is available. And before we go, thank you so much, Ken, for coming out to Syndicate.
1: Thank you for the invite. It was a really good time. I really enjoyed talking to you and an hour just disappeared. I can't believe we've been talking for an hour.
2: That's what happens when we talk about great cinema. That's Time true. flies. I love that. And hopefully, uh, if you were to come on again, maybe Clint will come out of his shell and join yes. us.
1: <laughs> I, I think he will. I think I can uh, persuade
2: him. All right. If you'd like to hear more of Ken, please head over to sinbabblecast.com or search CineBabble on your favorite podcast app. But if you'd like to keep this conversation going, please add us on your favorite social media platform at syndicate that is syndicate on Instagram, Twitter, and letterboxd or join the discord server where you can catch myself along with other podcasters and listeners talking about this film and others at syndicate.com forward slash discord until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye.